What's up, world? It's Rafael Garcia again, back for episode 120 of the MMA Reigns podcast. I'm here with Shawn Humes. Uh, we've been in and out for the last couple of weeks. Um, my schedule's been changing, but it looks like things are kind of solidified. Uh, we are back on our Thursdays, maybe a little bit earlier than normal, but, you know, hey, we're still here to do the best we can to bring you our commentary on mixed martial arts. I know how you Try to get through the day. I'm busy. Cool, cool, man. You're having a little bit of breakup early, so let's kind of get that corrected. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that glad that we're back. You know, um, I'm running in and out all over the place. My teaching and training schedule has been thrown up in the air, but thankfully, um, we can still do this show on Thursdays. And um, remember, the pro wrestling podcast is still on Wednesdays as well. So, looks like everything is going fine. And before we even jump into commentary today, I wanna I, I wanna kind of say something. I've been seeing this fake news going around. Ric Flair is not dead, okay? There's been fake tweets going around about Ric Flair died in the hospital today. No, he was in the hospital earlier. He was having a procedure done. He is not dead. If I see you on, your, on my timeline talking about Ric Flair is dead, you're getting blocked, period. End of the day. Don't mess with my Thursday like that. I've had a hard week. I do not need to be seeing fake tweets talking about Ric Flair died because he did not die, period. But anyway... Sean, man, we got that is a blockable fence, very blockable fence. But um, Sean, we got a lot to talk about, and I kind of want to jump in to talking first about the action from last week. We had two cards: UFC 237 and Bellator, I think 221, whatever that number was. And we saw a lot of of pretty interesting action, pretty interesting finishes. Let's talk about. The first piece here, and I have want to have a question for you. I, I think I posted it on our Instagram page. But of the big winners of the weekend, who do you think had the biggest win and why? Um, I'd probably say I want to I want to say Jeff Pitbull. I think his win was biggest. He's the second double double champ in Bellator history, and he beat the Golden Boy. He beat the guy they they put all the money behind and the big push behind. So I think he's 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 met, he's had the biggest win this weekend. I mean, he's officially now an MMA star. He was always right on the big win. This is the win he. Did. So let me get you to a better. You're not breaking up, but I heard that she said um, you had to pick Pitbull as the top uh, selection, and I think that his win solidified him as probably the best Bellator fighter of all time. I don't think he was far from that spot anyway. I think that he was kind of in that conversation with him, Chandler. You know, I mean, they're probably going to conclude Ryan Bader in that conversation too. But I am looking at um, Douglas Lima and what he did on Saturday. And he, we knew that he was probably going to be too much for Michael Vitt and Page, too experienced, too talented. But the way he got that win, and I think he got it at a time where a lot of people were focused on MMA that weekend and that gift going around of him knocking out MVP. I think he happened at the perfect time for him to get some fans and get some attention thrown his way. Yeah, the only reason the only reason I didn't go with him or, or somebody else is like in the case of Andrade, she was considered kind of a favorite. People figured Lima Patricio was really the guy who nobody was willing bet their money on and he's been a Bellator representative. You know, this is his marquee win. And, and it's a big one. And he's a double champ. And he's kind of been there since almost 
was the beginning. So it really, it's a bigger story, I think, to have a guy who's kind of been through all the wars and supported the company to kind of cement himself as as the Bellator fighter, the guy who who you'll think of when you think about Bellator moving forward. So hmm, what do you think they do with him next? Do they run this fight back? Do you think that that stoppage was, was bad? I think that the issue was with the way Chandler um, laid out that he was taking too many shots, but do you think that that finish was legit or would you have allowed it to go on longer? Uh, I thought it was legit, and I, I, I really, I'm never, I'm never against um, referees stopping fights, especially when a guy goes out like that. And the main thing, if you just look at it from a personal situation, if the same thing with Rose would have been reversed, Chandler would have been perfectly happy with this win. I know he's unhappy with it because he's on the opposite end of it, but you know Pitbull would have been in that situation. He would have said he was out. I had a finish. There's no need to continue. I, I don't have any problem with it because Chandler wasn't defending himself. And Chandler was getting hit by the Chandler was getting hit by the same series of shots that led to him getting dropped and finished. So I, I just don't think he was I don't think he was aware. I don't think he was able to defend himself. And if they would have let it go, he just would have gotten beaten worse. So what, do you think that 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 there was enough of a controversy? And I'm using that in air quotes. You can't see me. Do you think it's enough of a controversy to run that fight back? Or should they do something else with Patricio? But my thing is, like, he is, you know, he's kind of made it clear that he plans on dropping back down to 145. But even at either weight class, I don't see any other really big name um, opportunity for him yet. Do they run that fight back with Vincent Henderson? What else can they really do with that guy? Yeah, I mean, it's the same discussion we have with Bellator all the time. They have limited options when it comes to their fighters because, after you get through the first four or five people in any division, you don't have very many other names. So there's not a lot of guys who've been built up over the period of time. There's guys you brought in from the UFC, but those guys have been hit or miss. So you don't have any instantaneous, if I make this fight, I'm guaranteed a certain kind of rating opponent. The only opponent would be for him to face Chandler again. But I don't really know, I don't really know how much you could sell that fight given the way Chandler was finished. The only other option for Pitbull really is to move back down and fight um Aaron McKee, he might because he won his fight and he's asked for a title shot. But as far as big money fights or fights that'll draw the attention of the MMA, the MMA community, there's Chandler's only option he has, unless he fights his brother. And we both know that that's not happening. Let me ask you this: Is I saw a headline today where Patricia was talking about he's the best featherweight in the world today. If he was to drop both belts and walk in the UFC right now, where do you see him ranked amongst the top fifteen at 145? I think there's an argument for him to be in the top, top three to four. I mean, I, I don't, I, after, after Jose Aldo's last showing, I, I don't really know what he has left. I think Frankie Edgar's on the decline. Brian Ortega, we don't know what he's going to look like after his fight with Max Holloway. We don't know what Max Holloway is going to look like after his fight with Dustin Poirier. So there, it's, it's a lot of a transitioning right now. And I feel he could at least be in the top three. I think, I think he could contend for a title. You think he could contend for a top title at, at 145? Do you think yeah. he could beat? Um, do you think he could beat uh, Volkanovski or Holloway right now? Uh, I think I think he could have a chance against Vol- Volkanovski. I'd have to see what Max Holloway has to offer right now. I wouldn't say it was anything. I'd say right now, without having seen Max again, I give it 60-40 Max right now. It's not a fight that Pitbull isn't it, isn't capable of winning. I, I just have to see what Max has to have right now because in this last fight I didn't have to see it wasn't a back and forth fight it wasn't really competitive so I didn't get to really see the full measure of Pitbull against a 
comparable level opponent. He's been basically kind of just beating up guys and manhandling them. And you know, against Max or Volkanovski, he's going to have to take some to get some. So I, I haven't seen that in a while. So I'm curious to see how that will go. But I, I'd still say it's about 60 40 Max right now. Okay. All right. All right. No problem there. Um, so let's kind of jump into the rest of the action that went on. We're going to come back to Bellator in a second. And let's talk about what happened over there at UFC 237, where Rose Unis she dropped her dropped her title, no longer champion, and she did so because she got dropped herself. Um, Unis did what she, I mean, not Namunis, Andrade did what we all thought she would have to do to win the fight. She got in tight, lifted Rose up in the air, and basically threw her down to the mat. She landed kind of awkwardly on her head and her shoulder, her head and her neck, excuse me, and the referee called it off rather quickly because he saw that. She was not responsive and that she was out. What did you think of the action that we saw there? And uh, let's just start there because I think the way the first round was unfolding is exactly how a lot of people thought the fight was going to go. Nama Yunus was in control in every facet of the contest, um, and there was no doubting that. If What did you think about that first round, and what adjustments did Nama, uh, Rose Andrade make in the second round to get that finish? Well, the first round was as you expected. I told people, I, I said that Andrade was going to win the fight. But my caveat was that Rose Namunas is pretty, pretty much the biggest hitter at strawweight division. She's one of the few girls in the division. If she hits you, she can put you out. So the question was going to be, how was Andrade was going to be, was she going to be able to successfully pressure Rose Namunas and get, get her body on body and take her down, body on body and rough her up and overwhelm her with the volume? Or was Rose going to use her length and her footwork and her power basically to stay on the outside counter counter on Drage when she comes in, hit her on the way in, hit her on the way out, maintain the distance, and just chop her down for five rounds. That was essentially the only two ways the fights could have went. And in the first round, that's what she was doing. The only shock that a lot of people had was that Rose was actually not just pecking away at Andrade like Joanna did. She was actually snapping her head back. You actually saw her kind of get stopped in her tracks, and most people weren't used to Andrade actually slowing down or maybe not being all balls to the wall or, or being able to completely completely closed distance because usually she eats shots and she walks right through them against Rose. She was noticeably getting, she was noticeably getting stung. And that was a shock to most people. I saw a lot of people on the timeline saying, well, you know, Rose is going to knock her out. And that was a possibility because Andrade comes so hard that she walks into shots. And if you're a real hitter, even with a chin like hers, you could put her out. The issue, the issue became that Rose could not maintain the pace she was setting the way Rose was fighting to me, kind of looked like she was trying to go for the knockout. She was trying to put so much heat on her shots so that it would scare Andrade off or maybe it would hurt her and make Andrade take a backward step where Rose could take over or make Andrade hesitate. And if you make her hesitate, Andrade isn't a technical enough fighter to fight you at range and slip inside punches and get to you and transition from punches to takedowns. She doesn't have that skill set. But what happened was Andrade kept pressuring. Andrade refused to be scared off. Andrade refused to take a step back. And eventually, Rose started to slow. Part of it was because the fact she's thrown with power. And second, it, secondly, it's because Andrade is taking every shot and continue to force the pace. The technical adjustment that Andrade made was really only attacking the legs and attacking the body. Andrade is considered one of the better potty punchers in mixed martial arts, which isn't hard because hardly anybody throws body punches. But she was getting to the body. The constant pressure was getting to Rose. The fact that she's thrown so hard was getting to Rose. And eventually, Rose was just starting to slow, especially when Andrade started kicking her to the inside of her leg so Rose couldn't dance around the circle and maintain that distance. That was really the only adjustment she made. The biggest thing that lost Rose the, the battle was Rose was trying to 
punish Andrade. When Joanna fought her, she was trying to get in and out. She wasn't trying to lay anything really heavy on her until late in the fight. Rose was throwing heat. And anytime you throw heat, there's a chance someone can transition, bridge that distance, and get their hands on you. Plus, if you don't put somebody out, and you're throwing everything you have, or you're throwing with real power, you're going to get tired. And if you haven't hurt that person dramatically or knocked them out, you're going to slow down a step. And once you start slowing down, it's easier for me to get to your body. It's easier for me to get my hands on you. It's easier for me to kick your legs. It's a little bit harder when you're on your toes, slipping and sliding left and right. And Rose basically, essentially, just set a pace she couldn't maintain. And as she slowed just from herself, Andrade started picking away at her and chopping away at her. The one or two body shots turned to three, four, five. The one or two leg kicks turned to two or three, four, five. And it just piled up until she got to the position she needed to get to finish. Sorry, I was on mute. I want to talk about a couple of different things that you mentioned there. Um, I was really intrigued. Uh, I don't know if intrigued is the right word. I was really impressed by Nami Yunus' continued growth as a fighter. She's only 26 years old. And if you remember, she came into this game strictly mainly as a grappler. But now she's out there just using her length in a way that is astounding some of, of her opponents. At 26 years of age, we're going to talk about her comments on retirement as well. But what is her ceiling? What do you think her ceiling is as a um, a complete tooled fighter? What else can she add to her game? And do you think she is working on the? Uh, do you think she will add some of those pieces that you may think is missing? Well, the biggest issue is is she just doesn't respond to pressure very well. In all her fights, she's had two fights where she's been pressured heavily, against Kovalevich and against Andrade. In both situations, she was not able to maintain the distance and the range she wanted to. She couldn't scare the person off. And when you put her under extended pressure, her, her tech, in my opinion, her defensive footwork breaks down a little bit. When it breaks down, usually what she resorts to is body lock takedown. She'll tie you up, get a body lock takedown, drag you down, and then she can start working you over there, look for submissions, or you get back up and y'all reset. And that gives her the space she wants once again. Against Kovacavich, she couldn't. When she got into, when Kovacavich crashed the pocket, getting clinches and start lighting her up. In the case of Andrade, the same thing kind of happened. She couldn't keep Andrade off her. So when you can't keep somebody off you, the fact what happens is you start punching when you don't have to punch. A lot of people who don't know boxing or don't know striking, and as soon as somebody gets in range, they start striking. But the fact of the matter is, even if somebody's coming at you, you don't always have to punch. You can sidestep. You can parry. You can pivot out. You can circle around. There's little tricks you can do to go to, to bait somebody and to create space you need without you punching. But when somebody's putting a lot of pressure on you, you'll start punching just to keep them off you. You're like, I got to keep them off me, got to keep them off me. So you're working twice as hard because you're moving around the cage full speed and you're throwing power, you're thro throwing with a lot of power. So you're, dra you're draining your, your uh, gas tank. I don't know that it's a lack of actual skill she doesn't have. It might just be an issue of temperament. Some people can't deal with pressure. Some people can't lead. Some people can't fight at high pace. I don't know so much. Technically, she has the skills, but it seems like when somebody can continually put pressure on her, she doesn't have a way to slow the fight down outside of throwing punches or going for a takedown. Takedown would have put her in, in, in Andrade's wheelhouse where Andrade could slam her, take her down. And setting her feet and biting down and swinging wasn't going to work because she couldn't keep Andrade off her anyways. Moving around the cage wasn't working. It was burning down her energy. So as far as technical growth, there's a couple more things you could do as far as having more of a structure with her. But I don't, I don't know that the issue is technical so much as just who she is as a fighter. She does not does not like pressure. And she uses her power to disrupt pressure. And that's where you see the footwork and the feints and the jab come in. But if her power can't scare you off, 
her defense does not look as good as it usually looks. This was a key example of that. The only difference between this and her other fights is when she hits people, they back off. When she hits people, they go down. This time she hit somebody and they kept on coming. And at first she looked real good and real slick because Jessica Andrade's footwork is terrible. But eventually she started slowing down. Leg was moving back a little slower. Head was staying online a little bit more. Body was in range a little bit more. Then she started paying the price. So technically you can always refine things, but I think she's getting to the stage where it's just all you do is refine. You're not making huge leaps and jumps as far as your technical skill. What I saw on Saturday night was what I, what I thought she was capable of for an extended period of time. She just never showed it because nobody continued to pressure her in a similar manner. Still there? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I thought you had cut out for a second. So let me ask another question in reference to these women because I think that Nami Yunus did something. I know I, she didn't have a long run as a champion. She didn't have multiple title reigns, and people often denounced her for her inactivity. But I want to talk about Andrade because there's been a lot of conversations about the Brazilian the the Brazilian presence among champions in the UFC. It's on the men's side. You know, it's come and gone. There's a point where you know there were Brazilian champions up and down the roster. That is no longer the case. On the women's side, though, three of the four titles are held by Brazilian women. Now, Nunez owns two of those belts. What do you think about Brazilian women being the new face of Brazil in mixed martial arts? Is that something that's viable? Or does the UFC still want to have their male um, Brazilian stars? Or can they look at these two women and the others like Claudia, Adelia, and, and others that are, that are still amongst the top? Can they leverage this dominance of Brazilian women in MMA? But the question isn't so much can the UFC leverage it, it's can the fighters leverage it. And, and it's like, I understand your point because the UFC has not always handled female fighters particularly well or Brazilian fighters in general, much less Brazilian female fighters. But once again, the issue comes down to the length of time you're in and the fan base you develop. Anderson Silva developed his fan base. A lot of these other fighters took years and years and years before they became the stars they are. Jose Aldo wasn't a huge star all the time. Anderson Silva wasn't a huge star all the time. The Nagara brothers were huge stars, but they were international stars in mixed martial arts. Jessica Andrade, to my knowledge, does not have that strong does not have that kind of fan base. Now this is a good starting point, but the fact of the matter is a lot of these fighters have never been able to put together two, three, four, five, six years of dominance to where they could develop that kind of fan base. I mean, Andrade, Andrade has been on this run, so she's on the right path, but she needs interesting fights and she needs more dominant wins to continue on. Unfortunately for her, she's beaten up a lot of the best girls in the division already. So how much further can you go in this division as far as fights that are going to turn her into a star? The other instance is just that she hasn't been fighting on the, on the big stage for an extended period of time. And that also impacts how, how much money people put into you, how much your fans are into you. And then we have to go into, unfortunately, the aesthetic aspect of it. Who does she appeal to? Who, does, who can you sell to? How can you market her? That's, that's really not the UFC's problem. The UFC is going to get their money regardless. Whose problem it is, is Jessica Andrade and her management. They have to find a way to market her and present her and package her in a manner that makes them more money. Otherwise, she's completely dependent on other fighters to get attention, to get sponsorships, and to get opportunities to go to the next echelon as <laughs> a named fighter. You know, it, it's, it's not just the UFC. The UFC could do more, but the fact of the matter is it's the fighter's career. You have management. 
what are they doing to make sure you become a star? Because especially with the ESPN deal, UFC's got their money. We have no reason to go out of our way to make anybody a star. You want to make yourself a star? Go right ahead. It helps us anyways. But we have no, no reason to do it. We're already paid for the next 10 years. So the question is, what is Jessica going to do? What is her management going to do? Is she going to learn English so she can talk in America? Is she going to take on commercials and do certain sponsorships to get her name out there? I don't know. Right now, we know she can fight, but what else is she willing to do to make to, to take that next step? Ronda Rousey said it best. Everybody wants my fame and my money. Nobody wants to do the work. Commercials are work. Photo shoots are work. Interviews are work. Are they willing to, to, to pay that kind of price? I don't know. Amanda Nunes hasn't been. I don't know if Jessica Andrade is either. So the last question I want to talk to you about this in reference to um, uh, UFC 237 is what do you do next with Andrade? Do you run this fight back with Nami Yunus? I wouldn't be mad at them for doing that. Michelle Waters is making a huge push for a title shot. And to be honest, I don't think that's a fight that she wants. Who do you book with her next? I mean, you, we do have the Tatiana uh, Suarez and Nina Ansarov fight coming up as well too. But do you have Andrade wait for the winner of that fight? Or do you book her against uh, Watterson or put her in a rematch with Rose? Well, I don't know if Rose is going to take a rematch, so it's really hard to, to bet on her. Um, the best options are either whoever wins. I mean, Watterson's a name. You, you, could get, you could get some coverage behind that, some media coverage behind that. Um, Suarez, too. If, if Either scenario, you could have Suarez first and Watterson. Watterson and Suarez, those are the two biggest names fights. Uh, Suarez is a little bit more dangerous because of her wrestling pedigree and her athleticism. I mean, there's ways to beat Suarez. There's, there's clear ways to beat her, too. But it's a little bit easier because you know you can control where the fight goes with Waterson. And Waterson is kind of going to give you the fight you want. In the case of Suarez, you might not get the fight you want. You might end up on your back. You might end up in scrambles and grappling exchanges. And that, that might not work to Andrade's best favor. So right now, it's just kind of up in the air. She, she doesn't really have a clear person to fight. Rose isn't going to do it. The biggest name would be Watterson. And the biggest fight with interest would be Tatiana Suarez. So I'm, I'm guessing she's just going to go in a holding pattern and wait and see. I don't think she's going to want to fight right away. I think she's going to want to soak the belt in and kind of look around for some opportunities to see what's open for her moving forward in her career. Because I remember once, she's made a couple complaints about her money and how about how she's been struggling. So I can't imagine she's not going to try to leverage this belt into something a little bit better for herself. True, true, true. So, um... And, and I just want to say one thing about Jessica Andrade before, before we finish. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hard on her in her camp because I've seen two fighters from their camp. They're not very technical. Defensively, they're awful. They seem very limited offensively. The one thing I will give her camp credit for is that they saw their fighter strengths they saw their fighter's characteristics, and instead of trying to make her into this all-round super technical grappler, striker, striker, they played to their fighter strength. She's tough. She's durable. She's got high cardio. She's a violent fighter. We're gonna push her in that direction. We're gonna let her. We're gonna give her an identity and let her, her fight to the full extent of that identity. And I've seen lots of top fighters, either with championships or contenders, lose belts, lose title shots because they get away from who they are at their foundation as a fighter. And Jessica Andrade's camp has never allowed her to do that. She's not te technically, she's awful. I don't care what anybody says. She is awful technically. But mentally, she plays her strength. She has a good approach that plays her strength. She applies pressure. She attacks the body. She physically grinds on you. She sets a high pace that she knows you can't keep. Those are all very intelligent things that exploit her physical abilities and her mental characteristics and take advantage of the lack of mental toughness in some of her fighters and lack of physical durability in her opponents. But 
they're just not a very camp good campus developing her. There's better ways for her to get her what she's doing done more efficient, more technical, and they just don't seem to have the bandwidth to do it. But I will give them credit for finding an identity, realizing what they had, and pushing that fighter in the direction necessary to maximize those skill sets. Not technically, but strategically. They've done a very good job with her. True, true. Good stuff, good analysis there. What else from the USC 237 stood out to you? Uh, the Jose Aldo fight was pretty shocking. I thought that'd be a little bit more competitive than it was going to be. And um, like I said, it, it basically rocket, rocketed Volkanovski into the top two contenders for the title. Because uh, the fight, the win over Mendez and the win over Aldo, it's, it's very hard to have two wins better than that in this division. So as soon as he gets over whatever health issue he has, I fully expect him to be challenging for a title in the near future. Do you think that the fight with Frankie Edgar was already booked and planned? Or did the UFC see his health issue pop up and decide to go with Edgar instead of uh, Volkanovski? I think it was already planned. The fact of the matter is they, they're, they, they're very invested in Max, and they want him in fights that are going to either get him to another level as far as his accomplishments in mixed martial arts or fights that are going to get him to another level as far as the public eye. There's nobody else in the division outside of Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar who, who have any sort of Q rating with the public. Volkanovski has been on undercards and mid-cards. Nobody really knows who he is except for hardcores. Jeremy Steve, I mean, there, he's first, Matt, Max has beaten all the other guys in division. Secondly, there's nobody else with any sort of name value who's winning currently. Frank Yeager fits both models. He's already beat Jose Aldo twice. They want a fight where Max is slanted to win and a fight that's going to get him a bigger name among casual fans. Casuals know Frank Yeager. They don't know the rest of these guys. So I think that fight was going to happen regardless. And Volkanovski is going to have to wait in line. But he still made the win and he put himself in position to be considered. And that's the most important thing. That's all he can control and that's what he controlled. But that okay. with Edgar, that was going to happen regardless. They, they didn't care. Do you think that, that Edgar, I don't want to say has a chance, but what, do you, what are your thoughts about that fight for Frankie? My, my thoughts are, I, stylistically, we've never seen Max against a real wrestler. But at this stage, Frankie's not as quick as he used to be. I don't think he's as durable as he used to be. He can't fight the pace. He's 37, he man. 37 years old. The only question we have for Max is the same question I asked for Ortega. Yeah, he's old, but once again, Max, they've been really taking advantage of Max Holloway. He had the first fight he's going to fight Khabib, but there was a weight issue. He's going to fight Brian Ortega. Then there was some other mysterious issue we never found out about. He goes into a war with Ortega. Then he goes and fights Dustin Poirier a couple months later in another war. So I keep wondering when is this bill going to come due for Max Holloway's health and his conditioning? Because he hasn't really been in any easy fights in his last five or six. And, and then he's had weight cut issues and health issues. You just wonder, at what time is this going to pop up and cost him his title or cost him a big win? Frankie Edgar shouldn't be the guy to do it. He doesn't hit hard enough. Defensively, he's not good enough. He's not quick enough. He doesn't recover fast enough. Stylistically, it's interesting because of the wrestling. But if, if Frankie beats Max, that's one of the bigger upsets in mixed martial arts history. Because from a strategic point of view, technically, I can see how Frankie can give him issues. But strategically, based on what I've seen from Frankie, I have no idea how this fight gets past three rounds. I, I really have no idea. Unless, unless, if it does, that just tells me something off about Max. That doesn't tell me that Frankie's got a new lease on life. True, true. All right, man, I, I definitely appreciate that. I know we have got a lot to kind of uh, cover. Did you want to look at anything else from Bellator 221 before we move on to this weekend's action? The one thing I wanted to talk about from Bellator is a lot of people were saying the high train got upset. Michael 
Michael Bennett Page is a fraud. But the fact of the matter, anybody who watched the fight, when Lima took him down, I don't remember Lima working him over with ground and pound. I don't remember Lima tapping him out within 30 seconds. And that's what a lot of people thought when he faced a guy with legitimate grappling skills and legitimate striking skills on the ground. Neither one of those things have happened. Supposedly better fighters have um, supposedly better fighters haven't been able to do the same thing to Michael Venom Page. So we have to start wondering, maybe we should give him a little bit more credit. Maybe we should start giving him some credit for what he's done because he was able to last on the ground and on the feet, he was holding his own. I know he got knocked out eventually, but it was from under him and he got struck in transition trying to you're breaking up a little bit, Sean. It wasn't You're like Lima was giving him the business on the feet. So while, yeah, excuse me, it wasn't like Lima was giving him the business on the feet. So if you want to say that Lima beat him, that's fine. If you want to say it's true, but we can't act like Lima just straight up outclassed MVP on the ground or on the feet. That didn't happen. He hit the ground. He he survived on the feet. He was holding his own. He wasn't outclassed. Lima was having problems with his speed and his distance management. And I I just can't let people ignore those facts. I'm not saying MVP would have won. I'm not saying he was dominating. But people thought he was going to get crushed. And at no point in that fight was he crushed until he was. It wasn't like he was losing it and it was going downhill and then he got blasted out. He got stuck in a transition and got countered. And that was it. So I think people should give MVP a little bit more respect because against the best opponent he faced, he performed admirably. He didn't quit. He didn't back out. And he didn't, he didn't look bad technically, in my opinion. Is this a big loss for Bellator? Did they lose like a huge prospect or something like that? I don't think so. If he would have gotten crushed like a total hype job, then yeah, that would have been a big loss for him. But he didn't. He was competitive in the fight. It was a highlight knockout. But people got to see that MVP does have some real skill. And his interview after the fight, I think that made him more fans. He was humble. He was respectful. And he took his loss with dignity like a real martial artist. And I think that only helps him moving forward. It's not like a Ronda Rousey thing where he totally cracked and went nuts and didn't want to talk to anybody. He handled the loss well, and he performed well in the fight. I, I don't think it hurts him at all. He lost against a former champion. How's that a bad loss? It wasn't some, you know, scrub. This was a, legit, this was a guy who everybody says is a top 10 welterweight. Since when is losing to a top 10 welterweight, the first ranked welterweight you've ever fought, when, when is that a bad look? Very true there. Very true. Uh, let's look at this weekend's um, card with UFC on ESPN Plus 2, where at the top of the card, we have Kevin Lee versus Rafael Dos Anjos. And there's a couple other fights that are worth talking about as well. I think this card has kind of flown under the radar, but let's definitely start with that top fight there. Kevin Lee and RDA. So we have two guys that are former lightweights moving up to one... 170. RDA has been there longer and he's looked much better at that position. Um, he's had his struggles, but at one point in time, he was like a, a top contender for the title there. Uh, let's start with him first. Where What is RDA's place? How far has he fallen since being defeated by Kobe Covington and um, Kamaru Usman? Is he someone that is still a viable contender at either weight? Um. I really wish he would have had a chance to fight Tyron Woodley. Tyron's a wrestler, but he's not a guy who can wrestle hard for five rounds. That was a fight that was within RDA's wheelhouse to win because he could have pressured Woodley, got to his body, overwhelmed him with volume, and probably extended him and finished him. But as it stands now, 
the same issues RDA had at well, lightweight have come up to welterweight. He still has problems with pressure. He still has problems with physical wrestlers. So until he gets past that issue, there's a clear path to beating him, and there's a couple guys in the division who are capable of beating him at that fight. The champion, for example, could do that. Uh, you got Colby Covington, who once again has already done it. You got Ben Askren. There's, there's, there's more than a few guys who are capable of enacting a wrestling-heavy attack against him just to see how he handles it. And there's more than enough guys who have enough grappling skill where they could pressure him and put him in certain positions to extend him and take advantage of his lack of size. So while he's still a, a legitimate welterweight, maybe a top 10 guy, 10 or 11 guy, he's, he's not really close to the title because against the matchups that are most difficult for him, he hasn't shown a way to beat him. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't figured them out. He's been figured out by these styles, and he hasn't figured out how to beat these styles. So how do you see this uh, Saturday's fight going? Because I think Kevin Lee is going to be a tough fight for him. But I think that this isn't a fight that we can really gauge what Lee will look like at welterweight. Yes, RDA is ranked within the top five, but is he really a welterweight that we can step back and say, you know what, Kevin Lee is now a contender at 170. I don't think that this is the fight that will answer that question. It probably won't, because no matter what they rank RDA, the fact of the matter, he doesn't have a lot of name wins at welterweight. I mean, he beat Robbie Lawler, but Lawler hadn't had a, had put two hadn't hadn't put together two or three wins in years. He lost to Colby Covington. It was close, but he lost. He lost to Usman in a fairly one-sided fight. You know, I mean, he beat Neil Magny, he beat Safadine, and he beat Robbie Lawler. The Lawler name means more because of the name of who Lawler is, not so much because Lawler's been so consistent during that period of time. Um, Lee's moving up, I'm assuming, because he's kind of hit a wall at lightweight, and he's thinking that maybe if he moves up to the welterweight, the lack of weight cutting will help his conditioning and help his durability and help his ability to recover from damage better. And that's what I'm assuming. That and he thinks he'll have an athletic advantage over many of these guys at welterweight. Uh, the biggest issue for this fight is, once again, stylistically, it's, a, it's an athletic, physical wrestler who's facing RDA, who does not respond well to pressure. He either exchanges or he backs straight up or he gets taken down and is, re is reduced to defending or trying to get back to his feet, which eventually drains his energy against these bigger guys to where he doesn't have anything left in the tank for that late fight kick. So based on paper, the fight is open and shut. The thing, the thing that makes it difficult is Kevin Lee, as tough as he is and as good as he is, is fairly limited. And he's not always the highest IQ fighter. With his physical skill set, and his grappling chops, you would think he would always initially take fights to the ground, but he doesn't do that. He, he gets in pointless exchanges on the feet that he's not trained well enough to handle, nor has enough skill as far as his tools he's using to handle. And he makes fights more difficult than they have to be because he doesn't, he doesn't play it safe, he doesn't play it smart. So if he chooses to exchange with RDA, if he chooses to exchange too long with RDA, he's gonna get beat up, he's gonna get tired, and he's going to give RDA a chance to pull away late in the fight. It's really an easy fight for him. All he has to do is wrestle. Set up his wrestling and wrestle. Set up his wrestling and wrestle. But the fight with Ally Aquinta was a really easy fight for him to win too. And he did the exact opposite of what he needed to do to win that fight. The fight with Edson Barboza was totally in his hands until he stood on the feet too long and almost got knocked out for his, for his own, own good. So the question is, is Kevin Lee's camp training him appropriately for the fight, and if the fight gets difficult because he's made the wrong, taken the wrong approach, 
will Kevin Lee be able to tough it out and not fold up when the pressure gets put on him? True, that is all. That is a great question there um, about whether or not he'll be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, Kevin Lee has he's got look, he's got charisma, he's got talent, but he hasn't put it all together. He's an overrated striker. Defensively, he's not very good. Offensively, he's not very creative. On the ground is where his skills truly flash and his athleticism flashes. But there's so many times he will play around in this other area and make it more difficult for him to get where he needs to get to do the work he needs to get he needs to do. And against RDA, you just can't you just can't make those kind of mistakes. It's really simple: pressure him, take him down, fight at a high pace, wear him down, win the fight. But Kevin Lee doesn't make things easy for himself. And like I said, against a seasoned veteran, a former champion, any mistake you make can be your last. And RDA is not a guy who ever quits. He's not a guy who comes back and wins fights, but he's not a guy who ever quits. So if Kevin Lee puts himself in a position where he's getting tired or he's taking shots, and you think that RDA isn't going to turn it up and try to finish him, he is sadly mistaken. But based off of just pure skills, actually what we've seen in fights and against a certain level of competition, Kevin Lee should win this fight going away. Okay, cool, cool. So for both men, what do you do with the winner of each um, of both of these guys there? I think that no matter who wins, you should book them against the winner of the uh, Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley rematch. Yeah, that, that, I think that'd be... I'd rather see RDA against one of those guys. The thing about Kevin Lee is if I'm him, I'm trying to take a little bit more of a slower procession to the top just because at lightweight, he was a big lightweight. There's a huge physical physical advantage he has as far as strength. He can manhandle guys in spots. He could explode on guys and kind of hold them against the fence, take them down left and right, kind of work them over. His shots carried a little bit more power. I don't expect his shots to carry the same power at welterweight. And even if he knocks out RDA, that doesn't prove his shots carry more power at welterweight. And he won't be able to hold position as easily. He won't be able to get position as easily. He's going to have to work harder across the board, which means he's going to get extended and then we're going to see that cardio tested and see how that holds up. So I think they should move him along slowly, find him guys, and escalate the level of opponent moving forward so that when he gets to the elite guys, he's prepared for it. He might want to jump forward, but I don't think he should do that because RDA isn't, isn't a test in the way that's going to prepare him for the guys he needs to be ready to fight at, that at the top of that division. Okay, all right there. So that's some good thoughts there. Um... I wanted to talk about the women on this card. Mega Anderson versus Felicia, Felicia Spencer, Spencer, excuse me, and Aspen Ladd versus Sajara Eubanks. I think that these are set up as opportunities for Ladd and Anderson to kind of showcase themselves, especially with Anderson fighting in the women's featherweight division where there isn't a division. You get a win and you get a title shot there. What are your thoughts on both of these fights? And do you think that these are opportunities for Ladd and Anderson to stand out? Yeah, they want Anderson to stand up. That's why they gave Anderson home in the first fight. They figured Holmes looked bad. She's a step slower. Anderson's going to get into a strike. Even if she loses, it's going to be a striking battle that at least will be an exciting loss. And then Holm essentially clinched her up and out-wrestled her for three rounds. For some reason, Megan Anderson's camp didn't know that was coming. I don't know how they didn't know that. But they weren't prepared for that, and they lost the fight. And they lost it in a very embarrassing manner. So then they had her fight Kat Zingano, and, they, and she knocked out Kat. But it was a toe to the eye, which is anticlimactic. You can't you can't build a, a career off that. You can't build um, you can't go viral off of that. Not for, not for the right reason. So they're trying to get her a fight where she can showcase her her size, her athleticism, 
her striking prowess and, win, and get a definitive, exciting, dominant win. That's what this fight is set up for. They put a lot of stock in Megan Anderson, and so far she has not been a, she has not performed well enough or been put in a position to to be worth to justify the investment the UFC has put into her. So this is yet another chance for her to show that she can compete and she's worthy of a title shot or she's worthy of a marquee opportunity. And she really has to win this fight because if she loses that, she's two and one, one and two in the featherweight division. That's a bad look. That's a real bad look. So she can't afford to lose this. She needs to win this, and they've set it up for her to win this. As far as Ladd, um, the UFC, they they think she has something. And this is the fight. I don't know why Sajar Eubanks is getting this fight. It's her first fight back at Bantamweight. I mean, she's got a name, but she hasn't been in Bantamweight in a little while. She hasn't done anything at Bantamweight in a little while. So why are you giving her a young, physical, active, powerful fighter in her first go does not make sense to me, except that it's a setup fight for Aspen Ladd to showcase her dominance, her physicality, her athleticism, to get a dominant, impressive win she can put a stamp on and use that to catapult her further in the divisional rankings. These are these in my opinion, they're good fights, but they're setup fights for their for the A side to win. And Aspen Ladd and Megan Anderson are clearly the A side in these equations. Okay. All right. Um do you think that Spencer and Eubanks can play the spoiler though? They can, but I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not super familiar with Sajara. Her body punching is always impressive to me, and that that'll help against Lad because it'll help her find a rhythm. It should help to keep Lad off her a little bit, and if she can get the fight past past the first round, it can slow her down to where Aspen's physical advantages don't play as much a part in the fight. But Sajara Eubanks, in my opinion, has never been great defensively. She seems to tire. Hopefully, moving up in weight class. That'll help, but if she slows down against Ladd, she's just going to get overwhelmed. And since she's not very good defensively, I don't know how she handles Aspen Ladd's power. Ladd is very strong. She hits very hard. She has very bad intention. I don't know that Sajar Eubanks can hold up to that in exchanges or if she's just defensive. So the que- the question becomes, can she move around enough and outposition Ladd to kind of take some of the heat off her shots and take away some of her pressure and aggression? And can she chop away at her body enough and make her work enough that she can slow her down and maybe slowly chip in and turn the turn the fight around. Sajara hasn't shown that in any of her fights, so I have no reason to believe she can do it at this stage. She beats Ladd. Um, it's an upset, and it's a bad loss for Aspen Ladd. But based on what I've seen from both fighters in the recent recent past, it, it should be a, a fairly a fairly dominant win for Ladd. I don't know if she'll get her out there, but she'll have her opportunities. True, true. Okay. All right. What else? Um, I'm really looking forward to though. Every time Charles Oliveira steps into the cage, dude has 13 submission wins, most in UFC history. He's going up against Nick Plants, very grimy fighter, very tough guy. You can't put him out with strikes. You um can't really out grapple him. What do you see here, man? Is this like an opportunity for Oliveira to show her, show us just how good he is? The thing is that we all know how good he is, but when he dropped down weight, he couldn't make weight, and when he was at, and when he's at Lightweight, he can never beat the elite guys. That's always been the story of him. He has these dynamic highlight reel wins. He's in these fight of the night type fights. He gives every he gives the best guys tough back and forth fights, but he's never able to consistently beat the high end guys. That's why he's never gotten to a title shot. That's not why he's never truly been ranked considered elite in the division because he can never pull the trigger and win the fight he needs to win to get into the next stage against this caliber opponent. 
You'll see another exciting fight. You might see a highlight reel finish of some kind of submission, but that's not the question. We always knew he could beat this caliber guy. He's always beaten this caliber guy. The question is, can he beat the best of the best? And he hasn't done it yet. Max Holloway lost. Anthony Pettis lost. Who else? Uh, there's just so many. Dan Miller, he lost. You know. No, wait, beat... no. No, no, no. He didn't fight Dan Miller. He beat Jim. He lost to Jim Miller the Jim first Miller. time. He, he lost to him the first time, and he uh, submitted him last time. And and once again, he submitted. But when he submitted Jim Miller, Jim Miller was no longer that caliber of fighter. Let's see. He's lost to Paul Felder, Ricardo Lamas, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway, uh, Frankie Yager. Oh, he, he, he lost to Frankie Yager. Lost the Cub Swanson, Donna Cerrone, and then that Jim Miller lost. Yep. So he's lost only to guys who have, other than, let me see. So he's he's lost to one, two, three, four, five. He's lost to five title challengers and two guys that haven't ranked like in the top ten. Exactly. He's always lost to elite guys. Three. The guy is, he's not fighting elite guy this time. So he he should win. But for him to really become the star you want or to get the opportunity you want, he has to beat a named guy, and he's never been able to do that. Who do you think that named guy he could beat is? If you had to look at – like, let's look at the top ten right now. And if we're saying, okay, where do UFC – That he can fight and defeat right this minute, we have to pick from – this is the top 15. We have – okay, so Charles Oliveira is ranked number 15. So we have James Vick, Islam Makhachev, Alexander Hernandez, Gregor Gillespie, Paul Felder, Anthony Pettis, Edson Barbosa, Kevin Lee, Al Quinta, Justin Gaethje, Don Cerrone, Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier. He's lost to Don Cerrone already, Anthony Pettis, and Paul Felder on that list. James Vick? I'd say Al Quinta might be his best look right now. Just because he's such an explosive finisher. Even if I Quinta is beating him up, he's tough enough to hang in there and to snatch a submission, or he's dynamic enough to land a shot that will cre- create the opening for the, the submission. Because he'd have to beat somebody in the top seven for him to really move forward. He's beaten guys in the lower echelon. He'd have to beat a guy who's been considered one of the better guys in the division for him to really take that leap. And the only person I can think of would be Ali Quinta. I think, I think he, could, he could find a way to get to Ali Quinta. Because Quinta is not a—he's not a dynamic athlete. He's not a—he's not a great finisher. He's a good, not great wrestler. He's a good, not great grappler. He's a good, not great striker. So I think—I think if he goes to 55, he could—he could beat Ali Quinta. I think that would be his best bet if for moving forward. And if he wins this fight, I might ask for Ali Quinta. I mean, he's going to ask for whoever, but Ali Quinta—Ali Quinta is the win—the win, most winnable fight for it right now. Uh, Quinta, okay. All right, great stuff. Great stuff there. And what else on this card stands out to you? Uh, I was really the real the biggest fight that I was focused on was was the uh, the Kevin Lee fight. That's just I'm very interested to see how this new weight class impacts how he fights. And even though RDA is not going to give me those answers, just because of the the nature of how he fights and the fact that he's not a legitimate welterweight himself, um, it's going to be interesting to see Lee not have to make that cut and to see how he adjusts to not having these clear size and physicality advantages or, or facing guys who, who are facing bigger fighters. Uh, that, that's the fight I was the, the most invested in. And um, I'm not, I don't dislike Megan Anderson. I just don't think she's as good as everybody's made her out to be, but she's got a great personality. She's got great charisma. I would like to see her get an opportunity to showcase herself. She's kind of like Angela Hill to me on the biggest stage. She has never won enough 
to get the opportunity to be the star that she could be. And I hope that she at least gets a chance and they're giving her yet another chance. So that's, that's been the most interesting. Those are the most interesting things to me with all these cards they have. It's very hard to find fights that are really impactful fights to division and impactful as far as title contention or breaking the next star. It's just too many cards going on at once to have more than maybe three or four important fights. Not saying that all the fights aren't important to someone, but important as far as they're going to change the direction of the division or establish a new star or establish a potential champion. True. Good thoughts there. Good thoughts there, man. Um, let's see. What else do we have to cover from this week? I think that's it. Oh, my boy Julio Arce is fighting on this card too as well. I forgot all about him. Um, keep oh. an eye on that guy. Keep an eye on that guy. He lost to Shaman Morales in his quick decision, but um, keep an eye on Mr. Arce there. So um, let's see. What else... I think that's it, man. Let everybody know what you're working on this week and what you have coming on the site. Uh, I'm going to be doing, I'm working on the multiple pieces right now. I'm still working on an article that's going to kind of talk about the secret of Michelle Waterston's success and her win streak, what contributed to it on the behalf of her opponents and behalf of herself. I'm working on an article that's going to be on Tanya Evinger because she's going to have a, a fairly important fight for her career against Lena Landsberg coming up, especially after she got coffin nailed by Ladd in her last fight. And then I'm also working on a kind of a refresher course, a general refresher course for traditional martial arts because so many fighters use them and a lot of people don't understand the context or the strengths and weaknesses of traditional martial arts, so they don't understand what makes them effective and what makes them kind of a liability when facing certain styles. And I'm just going to just just try to educate fans a little bit more. So that, that's what I got going on. It should be coming out next probably next two weeks, I'll have everything kind of wrapped up. Good, good, good there. And as usual, you know, I have my professional wrestling coverage coming up. Um, I haven't gotten any MMA pieces up on the site this week, but I uh, do have the wrestling podcast yesterday, and I will be doing a post-show podcast for the first time for Money in the Bank on Sunday, so be sure to um, tune in for that. But outside of that, man, um, you know, we're doing our oh, thing. Okay. And One more thing I want to say Go ahead. about that Rose Andrade fight two mistakes that Rose made in this, and I can't say they're mistakes truly in the sense because she knows she can't keep that pace and she's not good with pressure, so you have to throw hard to scare someone off or hurt them bad enough where they can't pressure you. But the, the mistake that she really made was when she got a hold of that, I know she's going for Kimura or Keylock, but she held on to it. She got greedy. Mm -hmm. Understood the, ter the, 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 the tide of the fight was turning, so you, and you you grappled, you competed, so you know like when you get that hold and you're, you're kind of outclassed and you you're, you're probably beyond this. I'll put me in this. You hold on to something because you're like, if I can just get this, yeah. why this guy can work me over? So you're holding on this hold. And at a certain point, you know it's not going to work, but you hold on to it, hold on it. They reverse and submit you or ground and pound you, whatever it is. That's what she did. She realized she was getting tired. She realized she couldn't control the pace. So she found some success. She almost got slammed in the first place. But when she didn't get slammed, it made her braver thinking, okay, now this girl's comfortable. I can really lock it on. And in go, getting greedy and going for that move, that enabled Andrade to find the opening to slam her. And if you look at that fight with Kovacavich, even though she knew Kovacavich was chopping her up on the inside, she kept going for clinches. She kept falling into clinches and going for body lock takedowns that weren't working. Even when the best thing she could do was stay away. Some people say she couldn't stay away. Some people say she chose. So either way, she kept ending up in the spot that she shouldn't have been in. And that happened against Andrade again. She got greedy. She realized the pace of the fight was turning. She realized she couldn't maintain this pace, so I need to do something to end this fight or to slow this fight down. And in trying to do that and getting greedy and trying to finish off of that, she paid a price and got finished. So Andrade 
showed some strategic intelligence. She didn't show any new tools. She showed everything she did before, but she had the intelligence to apply enough pressure and, watch, and pay attention to Rose and attack the targets that were there to create the openings for the finish. That's very, it's smart of her. It's still not very technical. Technically, she is awful, and I can't say that enough. But Rose gave her what she needed because instead of sticking to scoring points and staying away, she was trying to end it. She was trying to finish it. And trying to, the most dangerous time for you to get finished is when you're trying to finish. And that's exactly what happened to Rose. Yeah, I was, I've been telling my class um, over the week, you know, teaching them, whenever someone lifts you up, you let go. Like, you have to yep. let go of whatever you have. When they lift you off the ground like that, because they can put you down anywhere they want to, and there isn't any, you know, the, the rules around that is if you, if you keep the submission, it's perfectly legal. But whenever they lift you up, to, you let go. To her credit, as, as the guy said, technically speaking, she sh against any other fighter, that w wouldn't have been a dangerous spot. But we're not dealing with any other fighter. We're dealing with Jessica Andrade, and she could throw a tank over her shoulder. So it was, it was a good spot, but after she almost got thrown the first time, she should have gave up on that. But she held on to it because she, she understood what direction this fight was going. And if you think she didn't, watch that Kovacavich fight. She keeps falling into these clinches. If you know somebody can kill you in this area, how are you not turning your back and running to get away from them? Alistair Overeem did. Rose kept falling into him. And in this case, she fell into submission and tried to hang on to it and paid the price, like you said. But I just wanted to put that out there just for a little bit more in-depth perspective, my, my perspective on the fight. Good stuff. Good stuff there, man. Um, so that's it for this week, man. We're going to go ahead and close it out. We'll be back next week. Again, as always, Sean, I appreciate you for jumping on the show with us. And let everybody know where they can find our content. You can find us on FM Player, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Um, just keep on listening. Just keep on supporting. We love the support. We're going to get back on a regular schedule with you guys. And we appreciate all your support and all your comments. And we're going to keep doing our best for you. Good stuff, man. With that in mind, man, let's go ahead and close it out. And I'll talk to you uh, next week. All right, sir. Take it easy. Have a good one.